Well done, Lewis. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome. It's exciting to have you here. We're, uh, we're really talking about a great, great topic in our church, and that is how to live and love like Jesus. We have a mission to love people. And, you know, I hope you think about this, too, because when I look at and I read the Bible, because we're going to take a look at the book of Acts, you know, in our series. What was the motivation? What stirred them? What what really, really, really moved these men to do some of those amazing, amazing things? And it's the beginning of the mission. And I want to point out a couple things in the book of Acts. I don't have a screen here, but to the side, I'm not sure if they have... Uh, anything to show if it works okay there it is okay so great at least it works there if you want to see something on the side you can I just wrote uh, uh, some some scriptures down look in your Bible in Acts chapter 2 um, this is the beginning of the mission that changes the world forever so much so it, it actually has changed your life because of what they were able to do since the presence of God it has impacted not only their known world, but actually it also has impacted you because you have responded to the same message that they did. And now you are sitting here as disciples. You know, in Acts 1 verse 8, it says, Jesus tells them, you're going to receive this power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you're going to be my witnesses. And we talked about that last week in Jerusalem, in Judea and in Samaria to the ends of of the earth. We talked about what a witness is. It's a witness that sees the greatness of God, that sees and witnesses. And in the Greek, that name is known as martyr. And we know that those people had died for their faith, but we have actually become witnesses as well. And I want to point out a couple things in this passage that we're going to look at. Uh, I want to point out in Acts 2 that this Holy Spirit, it doesn't give ordinary power. It is extraordinary power. It's beyond the power of the spirit that we get when we're baptized into a new birth. It's beyond the spiritual growth that we see in our lives. This was extraordinary in Acts chapter 2. And in plain terms, the effects of this power seen in the book of Acts is nothing short of astonishing. As we sang that song about making us more aware of God's presence, we welcome the Holy Spirit in our lives. This chapter talks about that song a little bit. Look at me in, in Acts chapter 2. I want to hit a couple things in this chapter. Uh, uh, the second thing I want to hit on is when they received the power and the power came upon them, they were closed with this power for a purpose of world evangelization. That was their mission. The Spirit came on them to go and live and love like Jesus, to go and, and, and what we learn from the master, to go live out in our lives. And, and lastly, in this, in this passage, we're going to talk about that it's, the work is not done yet. There's still work to do in the evangelization of our world, of our community. So let's look at the text. Let's look at the scripture. In Acts chapter 2, Jesus just got done spending 40 days with the apostles. He talked about the kingdom of God. He instructs them to wait for power to come. Stay in Jerusalem. And in verse 1 of chapter 2, let's read together. When the day of Pentecost came, 
They were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native tongue? Parthians, Medes, and Eliamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. You know, there's a realization when it comes to the Holy Spirit. There is a power that is involved in the lives of these apostles. And how does that relate to us when we read this? How does that happen? So we come to this text, and I don't want to get too academic because there's more here. This is, this is, this is so much here. It's so rich. When I read this text, it's so rich in what we can learn to overcome some of our deadness, to overcome some of our powerlessness with the work of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you feel it sometimes, but I do, that there's a deadness. There's a lack of inspiration sometimes to go and love people, to go and do it. So in this verse, of, of, uh, in this chapter of Acts 2, it's a Jewish holiday. In verse 1, it's called Pentecost. That day had come. Why did Jesus choose Pentecost? Why that day did he choose to pour out the Spirit on the disciples? Well, there was one main reason. One, it was, a Jew, it was actually a mandatory Jewish holiday, one of three, that they were to make a pilgrimage to the holy city of Jerusalem. And it was one of three Jewish feasts that they came for. And it, it got its name Pentecost because it was 50 days after Passover. That's the meaning of Pentecost, which means 50. And it actually landed on the Feast of Harvest in Exodus 23. That was why they came. And so there's this massive incoming of pilgrims from all over the Roman Empire into the city of Jerusalem. And it's a beautiful symbolic significance of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and this extraordinary power, which, is, which was intended to bring in a harvest, because it was the feast of the harvest. 
It was meant for a witness. It was meant for the evangelization of the known world at that time. It was a great harvest in a field that's filled with people. And that's earth. And that's exactly what happened. 3,000 people were harvested for God and they were given eternal life on the day of Pentecost. You know, it's a shame that that word Pentecostal power has, has, become, so, has become so affiliated with speaking in tongues. It's a shame. Because that really wasn't the main point of this chapter 2. And I'm going to come back to that miracle in a few minutes. It is a feast harvest in Jerusalem. And on this very day, Jesus pours out this extraordinary power. And 3,000 people are brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. Remember the day you made that decision? When you realized, I'm in darkness and I want to get to the light. And on this day, this outpouring happened and 3,000 men said, I want to get baptized into Christ. So now it goes into verse 2. And there's that word, suddenly. And I thought about that word. Suddenly a sound came from heaven. I want to focus on this word for a second because to me, that sends to me the message that the Holy Spirit is free and is sovereign. And he's not bound to anyone's timing or technique and how to access that power. Sometimes I think, well, if I have a quiet time and I pray, I'm going to call the Holy Spirit down and he's going to come. Come down, Holy Spirit. I call upon you. I don't think that's how it works. I think he comes when he's ready and what's best for you. You know, we rely on the indwelling of the Spirit. His presence, his grace. We walk in obedience. It's great. We pray and we, we, you know, we, we really ask God. We try to walk in the steps of the Spirit. We rely on his power. But we cannot certainly just say, demand the Spirit, come here. When he comes, he comes. And he comes suddenly. You know, he'll never be anyone's servant. He loves you. He serves you. But he keeps his own hours. <laughs> he knows what's best. And that, sometimes that frustrates me. I'm like, don't you want to save the world too? Yeah, he does. But sometimes I'm not just tuned into what he's doing. I'm more tuned into what I'm doing. And I'm missing what he's doing. And then there's this wind and fire. You notice in verse 2 and 3, it says, And suddenly a sound came from heaven like the rush of a mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as fire distributed and resting on each of them. You know, at times the Holy Spirit makes himself known with visible, audible, and touchable manifestations. In the Old Testament, he was a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. At the baptism of Jesus, he came as a dove. In chapter 6, Stephen's face looked that of an angel. In chapter 16, there was an earthquake. And at times, the Spirit comes. It's visible. It's audible. It's touchable. And it demonstrates his power. So why does he come for some and not others? 
Part of it is that he has sovereign wisdom. He's not a fire. He's not wind. He's not a dove. He's not a warm glow. So he will not use these manifestations in a way that allows us to be confused with him. He's free. But when he pleases, there may be fire and there may be sound. And part of the part of the challenge is going from knowing the Holy Spirit to experiencing the Holy Spirit. Knowing to experience are two different things. You read about the Holy Spirit. You sing songs about the Holy Spirit. But how do I experience that Holy Spirit, that power? And this is what happened It seemed to the disciples in Acts 2, when they saw the tongues of fire and they heard the violent wind, it filled them with an overwhelming sense of the presence of God. Until that moment, what they were doing, they were praying in the upper room. They were just praying. And then the Holy Spirit came. And suddenly something happens. It transforms them from their knowledge of God's presence To the experience of God's presence. They see the fire on each other's heads. They hear a loud wind. And then they're filled with this extraordinary certainty. Of the Holy Spirit is present. And then something begins to burn inside of them. Similar to the road of Emus, when those two disciples were walking with Jesus. They didn't know it was Jesus and they were walking with him. And afterwards they're like, man, was your heart burning? Because my heart was burning. There's something different about it. It's crazy. And it envelops them. And they're simply just overwhelmed with the greatness of God. And it begins to spill out in praise. So much so that the people that were watching them thought they were drunk. So let's talk about praise. Let's talk about being experiencing the Holy Spirit. When there's deadness in our hearts, it's, it's important that you start to experience something amazing. Not that your experience overrides the scriptures. That's another, that's another trap. Our experience of feeling the overwhelming presence of God should match the scriptures. So the reason I say the overflowing worship is because in verse 11, look what it says. It says, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Luke calls this fullness of the Holy Spirit in verse 4, that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Being filled with the Holy Spirit in this text is being overwhelmed with the greatness of God. The literal translation of that verse is that they were speaking of the greatness, speaking of the magnificence, speaking of the wonderful splendor of God. And they heard them in their own native tongues. You know, we struggle to harness that power, don't we? You know, we read in the Bible, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I always ask, how? Walk with the Spirit? Where is he? I'd love to walk with that guy. Where is he? Show him to me. And I wonder if being filled is connected to the feeling of being overwhelmed by his greatness. I wonder if there's a connection there. Because I want Holy Spirit in a little genie bottle. Come when I ask. Help my kids become Christians. 
Help my husband be humble. I wonder if we're just missing the experience because we're not tapped into the overwhelming sense of the greatness of God. You know where I go experience that sometimes? I have to go 8,000 feet up into the eastern Sierras, stand there in the mountain going, I'm overwhelmed. Sometimes you just got to get out of the city. Got to get out of the, out of the freeway system. You got to get out of Port Wenimi, out of Austin, out of Canada. You got to go somewhere and go, wow, it's all clear. I'm overwhelmed by, not the alarm clock, not the deadlines, not getting to work on time, but I'm overwhelmed with the presence of God and experiencing that. You know, sometimes I have quiet times that are just knowledgeable. I read something cool. I learned something. And I experienced nothing. I just filled my head with knowledge, with facts, with data, with input. And I almost don't, don't really, and then when someone asked me at four o'clock, hey, how was your quiet time? Oh yeah, I had a quiet time. What was it on again? I don't know. can't remember. But when I experienced God, someone asked me, how, man, let me tell you what I, it's, it's, I remember it's there. I can, I can tap into it because I experienced something and I can just tap into it. What if we tap into that? What if our quiet times, our, our Bible study was an overwhelming feeling of the presence of God? You are reading the ancient text that's alive. It's literally alive. It's a copy of the living, but still it's alive. It's alive. And God is interacting with you. You know what I do sometimes? Where's coffee? Once I have the coffee, then there's Jesus shows up. Oh, there's Jesus in the Bible. <laughs> and, and then what I'm doing is I'm creating deadness. I'm becoming some kind of quiet time robot. And someone asked me, yes, my tassels are long. The Pharisee's here. I've had my quiet times. Thank you. <laughs> the reason why I think the Pharisees miss Jesus is because they weren't experiencing... They weren't experiencing the presence of God. Jesus was among them. They tuned their hearts out to him. They were in the presence of God. You know, the disciples didn't have to get baptized because they were already clean by the word spoken by Jesus. He says, you're already clean. So this example of Acts 2 was to show them the presence of God so they can go out and mission love the world. Isn't that cool? And since the Spirit was giving them this vocal expression of language, and since that vocal expression was the greatness of God, I take the fullness of the Spirit to mean that the Spirit's experience of the greatness of God becomes our experience of the greatness of God. We can experience that too. Not just knowledge. And when we, we tap into that, you know what it does? I'm less timid. I'm less hesitant. I feel stronger, not weaker. I went to the campus in Ventura College just last Wednesday, and my two boys, my main guys couldn't make it because they had work obligations. And I was out there with Karen and Holly. And I got to campus, and I tried to act worldly confident. You know, I'm going I'm to act confident in my worldly ways. I'm going to show confidence, and people are going to be think that I'm spiritual. You know, I do that from time to time. Do I fool myself because I'm scared? 
And I act like I'm strong, but I'm scared. You ever feel like that? So there I am. And I'm going like, well, I'm not cool enough just to hang out because I'm 46. It's weird. It's awkward. When I was 20, I could just hang out and chill. What's going on? What up? It's normal. Weird. It's like it's a creepers in the house. Creeper. It's weird. And I can see it on their face when I try to talk to them. Like, what are you doing here? And I thought, what am I going to tell these guys? I'm going to have a 10-minute conversation about what classes they're taking. What's their future? You know, well, how do you enter the... Hi, I'm weird. I'm going to talk. What's your future like, randomly? Where are you going? What's your degree? What's your major? I'm thinking like, how do I get to the heart of why I'm here? How do I get to why I showed up? So I got Karen and Holly together. I said, guys... We're just going to tell people how great God is in our life. No plan. I didn't write something down. I said, we're going to go. And that's what we're going to do. And Karen, the look on Karen's face. The look on Holly's face was, we're going to what? And Karen's a spiritual woman. So I'm like, hey, hey, I'm a leader. Feels pretty good. I'm leading. Finally, I'm leading. So we're going to do. We are going to go share how great God is and what he's done for us. That was it. That was the plan. That was all we were going to do. And so Karen said, Gio, you go first. I said, all right. (laughs) So we go up to two girls with Karen and Holly. And I took two minutes to tell them how great God is. And then I said, now, I said, thank you for letting me share. I'm going to stand here awkwardly and ask you what you think about that. Because after I got done sharing, I realized it. I realized I wasn't scared anymore. I realized that moment I wasn't scared. So I talked about God's greatness and then I wasn't scared anymore. Then I did it again and I wasn't scared. I was hogging up all the sharing. I was a share hog. Then Karen did it over there. And then I went to, which I rarely do, just rarely pick a guy walking. Stop, man. Stop. 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 Hey, I'll tell you something. Something fantastic. Something great. And I shared for two minutes the greatness of God. The guy's like, whoa. I mean, you go to church? Never been to church. I'm like, this must be awkward. He's like, extremely. That's the connection. He started talking about, I've never grew up with God. I didn't know about God. I don't. And it got us right to where I wanted to be talking about God. I get so tired of just saying, hey, come to church, come to church, come to church. I get tired of that. I've done it a thousand million times. And once in a while I get lucky and get a visitor. This time I felt like I was having a heart to heart, like we were talking about the greatness of God. And I realized one thing, church, I wasn't scared anymore. I wasn't scared. And I share this so you can relate, go, hey, maybe that's a way to to mission love. Talk about the greatness of God. Let it fill you up because I wasn't scared. I like to look cool. I like to look, look, I know I'm, I'm, I'm too cool for this. I like doing that. But I was impacting no one. Young people, 
Young disciples, you have to save your generation. You have to save your... Older disciples, you have to save your generation still. The work isn't done. We can't go, let the young folks do it. No. Save your generation. Save every 40, 40 40-year-old and 50-year-old and 60. If you're 80, Ken, save them too. I love Ken. He came over this morning. He's a man of wood. He's a wood maker. Ken has a lot of abilities. When you go to MIT as an electrical engineer, you know a lot of things. When you work on secret government programs for 20 years, you know a lot of things. So this essence of being full and receiving, this overwhelming experience, it gives us courageous, passionate praise. And I don't say that the miracles of speaking in other languages is, is, the, is at the heart of this chapter. Because in Acts, in Acts chapter 4, the Spirit fell on the church again when Peter and John were released from prison and the house was shaken and the fullness came and the passion and boldness were there, but there was no new tongues, nor were there wind and fire. In other words, God seems to give whatever manifestation He pleases at different times. And all I had to do was remember that I can tap into the greatness of God. I can actually tap. And I started to make sense. Walking with the Spirit. It started to dawn on me like how to keep in step with it. The reason I don't keep in step because I want to fill my head up with knowledge. Not with the greatness. And he's, he's, he's up there and I feel alone and scared again. And I don't want to feel that anymore. And so therefore, this, this miracle of tongues, it played a role. But it's directly connected to the role of really advancing the world evangelization at a moment at Pentecost when everyone was there. It played a role, but it wasn't the primary role. It was meant to save others for the apostles to reach out and express their language about the greatness of God. And to help them tap in, they were like, God is great. We're speaking in another language here. And they realized that. And that led me to an observation. And in verse, uh, verse 12, in the demonstration of God's power, there was actually two responses. They were perplexed. And some asked, what does this mean? They were actually curious. Hey, I, I'm open. What, what does that mean? I just, tell me, what is this? That was one reaction. The other one, they mocked and they let, they, they, they jumped to the conclusion that it must be a natural explanation. They just drank too much wine. And you can have two reactions to this. You can allow God to fill you up and you feel something crazy. No, no, that's just, that's something else. No, that's weird. I can't feel that. And you can deny the very experience that God wants you to tap into. The wonder, the magnificence of his greatness. Why does it have to take us going to a mountain to get that? To going into the hills 
of Hebron out there in eastern Sierras to get that. Is a caution here that whenever revival comes, whenever the Holy Spirit is poured out in an extraordinary way, divisions can happen in the church. Some genuinely inquire, I say, what is that? I mean, there has been some awesome interventions of the Holy Spirit throughout history. When Martin Luther pinned his 95 thesis on the doors of the Catholic Church, it allowed people to have access to the Bible. Remember that? And then in America, we had this restoration movement where we want to restore the church of the Bible. And man, the Holy Spirit was working. And then, you know, disciples wanted to have more evangelism. And then we had, the, you know, what we know as the International Churches of Christ was created. The Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit humbled some of the arrogance of our leaders. That was the Holy Spirit. And I believe the Holy Spirit brought Simi Church and Shoreline Church together. That's not the work of man. I know that that's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's been moving. And you can say, well, I can naturally explain it. Geo had and Karen had some deficiencies. No, you can say that. But I'll tell you this. It was the Holy Spirit. When I step back, I'm going, whoa, that's a God. That is a God. Thank God I'm here to see that. When I watch the San Luis Obispo Church fold and come back and then see it get replanted, that is not the work of man. And then to have the right guy in the complexity of those relationships in a fractured church with, with feelings of why the church collapsed in the first place, and then you have the right guy of Kip Harms and Bethany Harms going up there to plant the church again is like, whoa, yeah. whoa, yeah. whoa. That is the greatness of God. If you know anything about the slow church, you're just amazed. I, I was here to see it all. But this is amazing. Holy Spirit pouring out. And you can say, well, it was naturally going to happen. We were going to go up there eventually. You know, it's always this. You know, if you share with 30 people, two come to church, one says the Bible, and one is baptized. You can say that. Or you can tap in and say, God is great. And fill your heart with courage that he's doing great things. So here's our conclusion. This extraordinary power, it's still active today to sustain us, to carry out the work that's still ahead in Oxnard, in Camarillo, Port Wanimi. There's so much work. The Thousand Oaks, there's so much to be done. But we have to we have to combat the deadness that sometimes enters us. And the way we defeat that, the way we walk with the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit is to tap in, like that song said, into the presence of God and His greatness. Just think about your life, how you became a Christian. This, that's just great enough going, how did I become a Christian? <laughs> that's amazing. Just, just go through your story. That's what I did. I'm going, it's amazing. I've made it 24 years. It's amazing. I shouldn't even be alive. But I'm living. So here's what I want you to do. Here's your to-do, as Joe always tells me after Tuesday afternoon. Here's your to-do. <laughs> Meditate. Pray. Tap in 
to the greatness of God and what he's doing in your life. It may be just you thinking about how your kids became Christians. That'll send you into the stratosphere of supernatural awesomeness. And you'll realize your fears disappear. You're not scared anymore. And that's what these guys needed because they were praying in a room and they were frightened to go outside because Jesus was gone. And God gave them an experience that would change their life forever. So much so, they willfully went out and willfully sacrificed their lives so that the message could get out. So I want us to pray, meditate, tap in to the greatness of God as we share the mission of love. Thanks so much. Have a fantastic afternoon.